We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm through. That's wrong. Say hi to everybody, Ron. <laughs> hey, man. How's it going? Oh, what a rollicking start we're off to. It's uh, just you and me it's again this week. Yeah. It's upsetting. Huge, energy. huge energy. And Roth uh, is going above and beyond. He is broadcasting today from Maine. Scenic Maine. Wow. Do you have any idea how many other things there are to do that aren't podcasting in the state of Maine? <laughs> I'm allergic to most of them, so this is actually fine for me. But it is still it's, the point stands. I uh, like I'm the I'm the dad who anytime Maine is mentioned, I'm like, did you know they serve lobster in prison? <laughs> and that they got sick of it. Imagine being sick of lobster. You've got main bona fides that I don't actually, which is uh, that you you spent like a formative portion of your youth here. Whereas I was like, on, I did outward bound in Maine, so I was on a boat for a few weeks and I, I pooped in the ocean. Hey. But that's not the same thing as going to college. Did you did you poop in the ocean at necessity or just for like for fun? Oh, it was a dare. I had to, I got uh-huh. that was you can't get into the crypts. I joined the crypts at that time, <laughs> and you no, it was uh, that was the option. There was like a bucket. And then there were other times, because you're on a boat, you know, so there's only right. so many places you can go. Uh, I didn't care for it too much, but, you know, it's you better gotta do what the, you gotta it's do. Than, it's better than the bucket, though. Yeah, the bucket was terrible. Uh, and, I mean, I guess I'm not really uh, talking out of school there. I don't think anyone's going to be scandalized to find out that a bucket that a bunch of teenagers were shitting in for a few weeks, it was bad. Right. But uh, but now, now our main experiences are, are primarily indoors. I'm in a motel in uh, Lincolnville, Maine, and my wife is sitting right behind me ignoring me, and I don't know. It feels normal. I, it feels good. Hi, wife. I, uh, I went to college in Maine, and of course, I, I wrote something for GQ years ago uh, titled, Maine, Do We Need It?, where I took a big shit on Maine, and <laughs> Nards were extremely mad. I even got letters from, I think I mentioned it before, I got, I got letters from a class of middle schoolers in Maine. Oh, wow. all made the case for Maine to me. Saying, well, you said it's a shithole, but actually it's really nice and we have national parks and stuff. And it was adorable. I wrote to the teacher. I said, this is great. I, Were they all addressed to like, dear Mr. McGarry? Yes. And then they were all like, was. that's so good. <laughs> yeah. So With it was respect, like, I think yeah. you are underestimating the natural glory and beauty of the pine tree state. Yeah. Kate is from here. And it was, you know, this is like not a cool state. There are no cool states, but that it is like when she was going away to school. That like when people found out she was from Maine, they'd be like, "Oh, do you have like indoor plumbing? Like, what's it like up there? Do you have to like, <laughs> fight? Like, do you have to fight a moose like just to get into class every day?" And she'd be like, "No, that's a that's an exaggeration. You almost never even see moose, and you seldom have to fight them. But it's obviously it's very different now. Well, it's it's two states along the coastline. It's basically more practical Nantucket, mm-hmm. and then if you drive five miles inland, you're in Northeast Mississippi." Like, yeah, it's incredible. It's the and it's so fucking big too, dude. Like we drove yep. up here. We rented a car and it's like a solid six hours to get to southern Maine. And then to get to the top of the state is like another eight hours of just like and for most of that you're surrounded by nothing but like potatoes and firearms. Yeah, it's awful. The drive to Colby was always awful. It's just ninety five, two lanes, well, four lane highway, and just tree it's just a straight shot. And just endless trees and nothing. It's like yeah. Nebraska of trees. It's fucking horrible. And you're not even, like, you get to, like, Colby, you're nowhere near the top of the state. Like, yeah. I, I also, I drove to Bar Harbor once, and that's an endless drive. And uh, 
and you get there and like you're you're still on the bottom of the state. You're not yeah. even like you're not like caribou or anything like that. Yeah, the it's, real hardcore shit. Kate's dad was a fireman for many years and the training was all up in that part of the state. And it's like oh you my God. get on like, like these little like planes that land on lakes. And it's all, I mean, just a world, uh, as I said, completely unimaginable to me. Like, I absolutely uh, married into some, you know, hardy virtues here. Whereas, like, in New Jersey, anytime you're more than, like, 15 minutes from, like, a particular type of sandwich that you care about a lot, you're like, I don't even know where I am right now. And it's terrible. <laughs> does your wife have a Nard accent? She's like, oh, yeah. Somehow she does not. She was homeschooled oh. by two people with hardcore main accents. And yet just sounds, she's got a perfect non-regional diction uh she can you know sort of put it on uh but it's a it's a wonder that someone spent as much time around her parents as she did and doesn't even say like yod yeah i i feel like that's actually a thing that happens though like i know texans who don't have a texas accent i know people from boston who don't have a boston accent like sometimes people are just just have flat accents they don't they don't necessarily affect what what's around them I will say that she's good and extremely exacting at picking them out when, like, in TV shows and movies, whenever someone fucks up. Like, watching, oh, yeah. like, uh, like in the bedroom with her or whatever, she's like, I'm sure you like Tom Wilkinson very much, but, like, that is maybe Rhode Island. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it was just... That's a very New England gripe. Whereas, yeah, I respect it. Oh, yeah, it's not an accent, yeah. That was a terrible main accent. That was good. Yeah, and it was almost somehow racist. So now all the nards are going to write into me. Again, another batch of middle schoolers will say, well, actually, Mr. McGarry, we don't talk like that. <laughs> you're a dickhead. My, uh, I remember we were the also, first time I was in... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We were also in Maine earlier this summer because we're discussing yuppies. And, uh, and my son uh, kept saying lobster, but he said it with a phony like Maine accent. He was like, lobster. And I was like... <laughs> and like it's cute like the first two times. But like by the eight thousandth time, I was like, "You can, you can just call it lobster. That's all right. You're That's you're from tough too." Because I've had the same issue with my nephews and nieces. That like, it's not to say that I have a career exactly, but to the extent that I have, I've got it from being annoying repeatedly in the same sorts of ways. And so the idea of being like, "Oh, you don't want to do that," saying the same thing over and over again in progressively dumber ways is a great way to irritate people. Like it is literally how I put food on the table. It's like how I've made friends. It's all I know. So that was Maine talk. We loved doing. That's why people come to the show. Yeah, is to talk about Maine. Like we're launching a podcast and a website, and people were like, "Listen, we we, we want subscribers to Defector, but we need we need the site to be at least fifty percent Maine takes." If you can't give me two middle aged white guys talking about their vacations, then I just don't see what the point is of giving you my money. Yeah, and you don't really get sports fans from New England in the media that often. It's a very yeah. you know, it, it's a very underserved market. Yeah, because no one dares to like talk about, you know, these are these are real fans for one thing, all right? Yeah. They suffered a lot. How else am I supposed to know James Harden throws cheap passes? I mean, you just <laughs> you need that you need that that special New England zhuzhing. I want to talk about baseball with you for a second. Uh, because this week Fernando Tatis of the Padres hit a grand slam when his team was way the fuck up uh, in a game. And uh, and that caused a little brushback situation, and uh, the other team. Ah, shit! I should know. I should know the other team. It's the Rangers. The Ra- Oh, it was yes. the Rangers. It was the bitch ass Texas Rangers who saw the <laughs> Astros being bitches, and they were like, "We cannot bitch them." And so then they 
They got mad and did a brushback uh, after uh, Tatis hit a grand slam off them late. And that's not really the worst part about it. I mean, it is, it is, it's pretty bad because Tatis just hit, it was a 3-0 ball. He hit it out of the park. Tough shit. You're in the major leagues. You know, this is where I get to call people snowflakes for a change, right? Yeah. No, this is, it's incredible too, because it's all, it's like, it is these guys that are like the most like cop mentality dudes possible. Yeah. They're somehow like ne- instantly are able to pivot into being like just the biggest like etiquette weirdos that you could imagine. It's so weird. It just doesn't make any sense because it's just like, oh, Major League's tough. And then like someone hits a grand slam off of you late in a game, you're all, you're already going to lose. And you're like, wait a second, that wasn't nice. Yeah, heavens to Betsy. Yeah. Like, that was very disturbing for me when you pantsed me with your superior ability in the most embarrassing possible way. So the shitty part is that uh, Padres manager Jace Tingler, which is just Jace the most, Tingler. Just an astounding Name of the, the year. Tingler. Uh, he he got mad. He got mad at Tatis for hitting the goddamn home run. And Tatis apologized for doing it, which was just like, what the fuck are you doing? What where's uh Also the the way yeah, the way he got mad too was like priggish, like sort of like, well, this is a learning moment. Like you have to remember, like Fernando Tatis Jr. is the best player in the National League right now by the numbers, but he's got so far to go in terms of like, he seems like he's enjoying it too much. And so this is something that I think we can grow from. Yeah. Manny Machado got tossed out in the next pitch and Tingler's tossing his own player into the bus. Why would I want to play for that asshole if he's going to do that? Like, I want the manager who's like, we don't apologize for nothing. My guys are the best. They can murder someone in the street. And I'd say, let him walk. I, I want that guy. I don't want the guy who's going to be like, well, that wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. Like, I actually like it better when they do worse, uh, but seem sadder about it. Just, yeah. And, and Tingler, too. I mean, this is one of those guys that's like, like a, a dude topped out at double A, like extremely like five eight energy to like his whole <laughs> shit. And <laughs> he literally is five eight, which is fine. It's cool. I mean, it's just, it's not short enough to be a short king and it's not tall. It's a very tif- difficult place to be. But between him and Chris Woodward, who is like the Rangers manager, was equally pissy and was just like sort of a, you know, journeyman MLB dude of no great note. It's like those seem to me like two people who maybe shouldn't get to scold Fernando Tatis for being too good. Yeah, I think it's why I think it's especially wild given the extenuating circumstances of the season. Like the St. Louis Cardinals are going to, have to play a quadruple header like the last eight days of the season because 9,000 of their players have COVID. So it's like that's enough to deal with. Why yeah. are you? Why would this occupy your your mind at all? Who gives a I, shit? It feels like things kind of like like baseball scrambling for normalcy in some ways. You know, like this is the sort of thing that like over the course of a normal season, if you're in early August, like too much baseball has been played already. There's still also somehow too much more to play. So this is like all anybody is upset about is just kind of like yeah, they hate going to work. They're sweaty. Like they're like. You know, they, they want to be in San Diego, but instead they're in suburban Dallas. Like, I understand being upset about it. it just at the same time, uh, like, you have to be better than that. Yeah, I. it is refreshing to have a little bit of just trivial back page action. Like, if this yeah. were in New York, it would be like, less than a Mando Tatis. <laughs> it's especially lame, too, because Tatis has been so insanely good this year. Like, as bad, like, most of the baseball that's, I mean, I'm obviously I'm happy to have it, but most of what's been played is like very much like third week of spring training in terms of quality. 
And yet, like, right. Tatis has been cool. He's got that was like his tenth and eleventh homers of the season, I think. Like, that's just celebrate it. You got nothing else going on, man. Like you said, like everybody on the Cardinals is just like, whatever, hand, giving each other COVID because it's like the right way to show you're a teammate or something. Like, <laughs> find the cool baseball stuff and be happy. Yeah, and it's 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 cool to have him and Machado on that team. Like the Padres have been moribund for. Ever like since 1984, so yeah. it's like, so why would I? I just you know you got this actual exciting thing happening, and you're gonna bitch about them being too good at the like at a at a rude time. Yeah, I mean, I I do feel like that's broadly speaking on the way out in baseball, just in the sense that like the you know the the players that are coming up are more expressive. Like Mike Trout is is not like the most like swaggy dude or whatever. But, like, a lot of the other young players, like, they do like to show out and, like, try to seem cool and all that. And that's something that you want. The part of it that bothers me is that Tingler and Woodward are both, like, young managers. This isn't, like, a couple of, like, crustacean, like, just, like, 75-year-old guys that are, like, back in my day, like, Bob Gibson would come to your hotel room and stomp on your nuts for doing stuff like that. (laughs) And that's, like, (laughs) that's, like, obviously got a place in baseball, too, like a dwindling place. But, like, Tingler and Woodward are, like, in their 40s. Like, they're... That's the part of it that kind of bums me out. Like, you want to believe the culture will change as the generations change, but it's all these like young suburban dudes that like came up through, you know, the the showcase system and like college baseball and all that, and like they're still somehow carrying that forward, even though they're you know young enough to know better. Yeah, it's weird because I thought the Nats had sort of helped get rid of a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, that was naive on my part, but like Juan Soto and the stances and the crotch grabbing and all that stuff, I was like, yeah. Yeah, new generation. Time to turn the page. And of course, baseball is still baseball, so we're still going to have all of its accompanying bullshit. Right. Which just because you're, I mean, it's okay to be like boring. I just feel like the idea of being self conscious is like really that's much harder to come back from. I agree. I just, I don't know. You know, I think it's almost bitching about the unwritten rule stuff is almost as tiresome as the unwritten yeah. rules themselves. Yep. So I wish there was just some solution to it. Like the ideal solution is that baseball stops having a bug up its ass about this stuff, but that'll never know. I mean, especially because it's like the one way that you can sort of, that's like the way that Americans are or whatever that like, they were going to push back against anything that they could consistently enjoy because they're not like at the center of it or like, you know, whatever. It's just like a, a way of complaining that like, uh, is as old as our culture itself. It's, it stinks. Americans have just the strangest uptightness, in like it's they're just uptight in the weirdest places. Like you know, you're like you never see a boob in a PG thirteen movie. Anymore. You don't see, you hardly see any of it anywhere. It's all just like yeah. I mean, there's no limit to how many uh whatever like gory squibs you can have going off. But yeah, like everybody's just kind of pissed off and like can't even. I mean, whatever. As a as a nation, we need to get back to being okay with being horny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like machetes are illegal in America, but like. You can have all the guns you want. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. No. It's just, uh, I want to talk about some football. For Hell a yeah. I got, speaking of uptight people. Welcome to the man uh, zone. That's right. Uh, this was the week, or over the weekend, the, uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 both suspended their seasons, uh, at least until the spring. The ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 are not. They're going through with it. Uh, I don't know about the fan situation yet. The SEC um, unveiled their schedule on Monday. And, of course, although if you want to be depressed, go see the Twitter replies. It's like, bad time! Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
And uh, anyway, so anyway, the Big Ten postponed, and uh, all their Big Ten parents were big mad that the season were postponed, including Justin Fields' dad, uh, Justin Fields, the uh, Ohio State quarterback, and surefire first-round NFL draft pick. Uh, his dad like was like, well, I'm not standing for this, and like, and Justin Fields had to like send around a petition. I don't know whether his dad made him do it. It sounds like a parent would make him do. Yes, it does. It's like that's real football parent yeah. stuff. Like being like, this is about values, son. Also, let him know that I'm available to yeah. appear on television and radio whenever needed. Yeah. It's only like like they circulate a petition to like to reinstate the season. And it's just it's one of those things where it's it's wild to me that like I, I think I almost suspect that the Big Ten is like might possibly reconsider it because they're just that leaderless and shitty. Yeah, and and because college football, there's no there's no guidance from the NCAA. The NCAA was like, well, we trust our institutions to be respectful of institutional respectfulness, like just standard McKinsey bullshit. Yeah, like everything feels like it's done without like with the aim of avoiding like not a lawsuit, but a lawsuit that is directed towards you. Like it's about like sort of pushing it off onto somebody else and making it someone else's responsibility. Yeah, there's no leadership anywhere. Like. Like the NFL season's coming and they're gonna play the games and like half the teams have announced that they're gonna not have any fans in the stadium, but the Bears announced it this week. But then other teams like the Cowboys, like Jerry Jones, like we got airflow, like like as if as if like air doesn't flow literally everywhere. You go. Well, it's different. It's so, different in Texas. If you want to be, if you want to be yeah. fair for a minute, the here. air flows bigger, Texas. That's why that's you, they paid extra for that in designing a Jerry roll because that's always been very important to him. Ventilation, uh, certain types of blended scotch, the most in, uh, expensive kinds, and then uh, yeah, just making sure that every room in his home has a stripper pole in it. Those are like the three big things for him. Doesn't make any sense. I I sound exasperated. I sound too exasperated and tired of all this shit. I I just you know I think it was I was very like over the weekend. I was really bothered by the post office stuff. Like I've met, yeah. like I think I wrote I. I tweeted about this, which is <laughs> is is a depressing clause. Did it work? Did it make you feel better? No. Not oh, really. weird. <laughs> it used to be like it used to be like if I wrote about like Trump doing a Trump thing, and I got it off my chest, I felt a little bit better, like in that standard sort of writing cathartic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like ever since like COVID started, like like I've sort of kept my chin up. I have been, you know, like I haven't had my like i didn't lose my job because i had no job to lose to begin with but i didn't lose my freelance work and we didn't lose our house and and i haven't lost anybody to the to the illness or anything like that and so i've been very very fortunate in that regard and that's allowed me to keep you know to keep my chin up in the in the face of all this despair but you know when i see pictures of like mail sorters like being systematically destroyed just for the sake of destroying them and like piles of fucking mailboxes then i was like like I felt like there was no wind in my sails at all. Well, it sucks. It feels like it feels like you can't win or like it doesn't matter or isn't like that's the part of it that hurts. You know, the idea of it just like no, it's going to be like this forever and it's going to like slowly get worse or whatever. You can't create anything from that perspective, but you also it's just really hard to like feel good about anything in a long-term way that way. Yeah, like there like it's been an ebb and flow during 2020 like during like like sort of the height or I guess it would be the height of like Bernie's campaign. I was like, yeah, we're, he's going to win. We're going to be able to do this. Like, like I see, I see the bright spots and I latch onto them. Like they're fucking crackers in the desert. I'm like, Oh my God. Yes, this is it. This is the thing that's going to, this is the little 
the little light that's shining that at the end of the tunnel yeah. that's going to portend good things. And then something else comes along, and, and I'm just like in the gutter. Yeah. Just in a mental gutter. Like one of those things where it's like at the beginning of the administration, like it would be like I'd lose sleep over it. Like I'd be like, ah, oh, this just is shitty and horrible, and I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to die in a nuclear holocaust, like that kind of stuff. And like, like I slowly got accustomed to it because like, I've said this before, but it's like, you know, the people who say this is not normal, well, you can say it all you want, but you're not going to be able to survive that yeah. way. Like you have to, you just have to, in, in order to like put your feet in front of one another day after fucking day, you just have to say like, okay, this is what's happening and it blows, but I have to still go live my life. Yeah. And I think that there's also an element of it that like, it, you know, obviously, of course it isn't normal, but at some point, like once you realized or at least for me, once I realized that, like, Trump is still Trump, right? Like, he's not going to get better, obviously. Like, that's yeah. entirely off the table. But it's also, like, he's not going to be different. He's not going to try harder. He doesn't really want anything but to be on TV and to be seen as, like, the expert and master of the news or whatever. And so, <laughs> like, it's all just going to kind of wind up being the same stuff. Like, so you're going to get what McConnell does, and McConnell only really wants to do one thing, and, like... It's just that's the part of it that's tough is it just feels like time is wasting and nothing is happening. And there's this incredible sense of urgency among the people that perceive, you know, how things actually are. And then there's this just like weirdly abstracted sort of like play acting shit coming down from from on high. But like once you you can get used to it, it was just always clear that the, you know, the election thing was going to be worse, that there was always going to be this chance that Trump would this would be the thing that would motivate him to actually act. But yeah, I agree the post office thing. I was just like, the idea of, of losing that for many years has just been like, it's the one thing that we have that works for everybody that everybody uses. I also, frankly, I didn't expect it. I was like, I was like, well, you know, like he either, you know, like maybe he'll get some Russian interference and like Facebook will do their Nazi shit and all that. But I didn't expect him to just like obliterate man. Yeah. As, like, the one institution that, whatever, we have that, like, could conceivably deliver an outcome representative of the populace. Like, yeah, it would obviously be at risk for that reason. But, yeah, it seems hard. That's why I'm not sure that yeah. they're necessarily going to pull it off. I just don't appreciate the trying. Yeah, I well, that, that was the other thing is that uh, our own Billy Hazley, who has a knack of being annoyingly right, was like, I don't think it'll make that actually that big of a difference. And someone did crunch the numbers. Uh, someone, uh, my medium slack. Uh, posted it where it was they if you factored out the mail in voting, like Biden was still up by like ten points and like by like a hundred electoral votes or something like that. So I was like oddly comforted by that. But I'm also not comforted by the fact that I have a president who wants to like outlaw paper. Yeah. You know that's like, that, and that's absolutely it for me too. That there's like this sense all along it was the case and it was much more it was happening very rapidly early in the administration with like the first round of secretaries that he appointed Many of whom, uh, like after they resigned in disgrace or were forced out, were just never really officially replaced. But a lot of those guys were there strictly because they wanted to like fucking fly private and like feather bed. That was like their yeah. and like and direct contracts to their buddies and whatnot. And yeah, I respect that hustle. Yeah, <laughs> but then at least at that point, you're like, all right, well, these guys are just out to get everything that they can steal. But then at some point, when they were like replaced by like just like 26 year olds named like Skylar von Skyler. Like at that point, you're kind of like, what do you even want? Like, you're just going to there to like fucking hang out and like have a security clearance. 
Yeah, there was an uh, Olivia Nutzi, uh sorry, I, I hate to use the word TikTok, but it was like a breakdown of the current Trump campaign. And there is no campaign, just like in 2016. It was just, well, just, we'll just let him go off and let him improvise and maybe he'll win and maybe he won't. But, uh, but it was basically like, like Trump can't hire anyone who's competent because no one who's competent wants to work yeah. for him. And if they're too competent and then they start getting like stories about them, then like he's going to be like, he's not really that tall. So he hires morons. And because these people would never get a job in that good in any other circumstance, they're loyal to him forever and will yeah. just fucking die and will kill everybody around because they managed to rise up to, you know, vice president of, you know, sewage uh, appreciation at the EPA. And they're never, they're never going to get that high again. It's like if Barstool was a presidency. It sucks. <laughs> if and when we get to the other side of this, it's going to be amazing to like just sort of go back and get on some remember some guy shit with people that were like guys that were briefly the attorney general of the United States and be like, you remember the guy that like he had like an infomercial about like how, you know, like a toilet that like you won't ever dunk your balls in the water by accident. Like that guy that was <laughs> attorney general of the United States for six weeks. Remember that? But like until we're well clear of it, I'm not going to be able to laugh about balls in the toilet attorney general guy. This is a podcast where we're going to have live reads and, and maybe I'm going to have to do a, a live read for like the My Pillow guy. And that's going to be a moment. Can you do it in his voice where you kind of sound like chopped and screwed Jesse Ventura? Can you get in that Minnesota mentality? You know what would be great is if someone could do a Jesse Ventura impress- impersonation because he's got a, just a fantastic voice. Still, just- James Adomian, man. It's perfect. I encourage you and everyone listening to this to seek it out. It's fantastic. Ooh. Yeah. You can really get the thing with Ventura is that he alone among uh, really strong men has figured out how to do exercises on his glottis. So every syllable (laughs) is just profoundly muscular and Adomian is able to capture that. Looks like Tito to me, gorilla. That's a terrible, (laughs) terrible. No, but you need to have the depth. You need to like gargle walnuts. Yeah. Eight hours a day or something. Yeah, Which is, I mean, it's not to say it's not worth doing, but you've got other things. You got a family. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to, uh, like, my whole rundown is all depressing shit, except except the part where I, I watched Locke on a Saturday morning and enjoyed it. But so like, I had to look up what not... that is. That's Tom Hardy in a car for an entire movie? Yes, it's Tom Hardy in a car for an entire movie, and yet, and it's, yet. Intense, it's incredibly suspenseful. You're like, oh my God, it's a one-act play. That's fucking horrible. But it, like, it has, like, it's juicy. It's, like, it's gossipy and, like... Every time the phone rings, something, something you know something horrible is going to happen. So every time it, the phone, like the Bluetooth goes off in his car, like your asshole clenches and stuff. It's nice. It's, it's a very good movie. It plus, also seems like plus, Hardy is showing his face and speaking in his actual voice in it. Like a rare yes. instance of that. Terrific. Well, well the, the one thing is that I don't actually, I'm not certain I know what his real voice sounds like. Yeah. I don't like, know if anyone does. So like it's close like he like he says concrete concrete like like it's very like it's somewhat elegant and in parts and then rough in others so I don't know if he did the whole venom thing where he like I don't know listen old like stand up albums or something so he could have like a new voice or some shit like that but it you at least you can understand what the fuck he's saying it's not like Dark Knight Rises where he's like yeah he's in just whale song. Yeah, he's in um, a movie that I liked. It's <laughs> yeah. James Gandolfini's last movie called The Drop. It's pretty good, but it's like a real festival of actors from other countries doing like outer Brooklyn accents, and it is 
psychedelic work. Like it's a fun movie in every other way. But Hardy trying to do like basically he sounds like he's trying to do Dustin Hoffman's voice from Midnight Cowboy, which is like it just is not a voice that fits into a body or a face like that. So he's kind of like, yeah, I'm a normal guy, but, you know, sometimes I got to commit a couple murders at the bar. And it's, <laughs> not, it's not bad exactly, but you're just like, there's no place on earth where people sound like that. But he's very consistent about continuing to sound like that. That's like the Capone thing. Like, I didn't watch Capone, but I just all I read were reviews of Capone where it's like, well, Tom Hardy plays Al Capone and he shits his pants in the scene. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm like, I'm like, this sounds awful. I need to read all about it and never that watch it. That was exactly the approach that I took. I think in my younger days, I might have been like, oh my God, wow, like real boogers in every scene. I should, I need to watch this. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a young man. So I'll just settle for There's- reading like Rob Harvillo's piece on it and being like, well, that sounds fucking gross. This is an entire, this is an entire genre of barely not direct TV, direct to TV mob movies like that and Gotti. Oh and yeah, like mobsters with Richard Grieco, which I saw in the theaters Same. when I was like fourteen. That was a summer camp movie for me. That was I was <laughs> I was talking to my uh, to Kate about this on the way up here about just like movies that I saw in summer camp, and it's there's no rhyme or reason to like what we saw except for like how lenient the counselors were willing to be. So, yeah, seeing mobsters there, I think they were kind of like, I don't know, whatever, if you want to. Like, it's just a bunch of, like, dudes in suits. I remember, uh, I remember, the, like, when Disney Plus first came out, they had, like, the entire Disney back catalog of, like, obscure Disney movies. And someone uh, did a whole thread of all these strange titles. And one of them was the Shaggy DA. And I was like, I've seen that. That was a camp movie. And I remember because, like, they would announce the movie, like, at, at breakfast or something on Sunday. Oh, and yeah. I remember the counselor was like, our movie tonight is the Shaggy DA. And everyone was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, they're like, no, so, it, you'll, we, you guys will like it. It's about an attorney who turns into a dog or a dog that's an attorney. Were, I don't know. We were so horny for pop culture. Like we would just watch any movie they put in front of us. We didn't, we didn't give a shit. Like, like I remember at camp, like, like listening to America's Top 40 with Casey Kasem on the weekend was like a big fucking deal. And it didn't matter that all you heard was I want to dance with somebody 500 times yeah. in a row. Like we were just like, okay, what's going to be number one? Oh, it's Whitney Houston again. That's right. I forgot I forgot that song existed until he played it 10 minutes ago. Yeah, there is definitely, I mean, I definitely get when people gripe about there being a monoculture because there aren't like, you know, as many fun movies or weird things as there used to be. And I do believe that's true. But also all through my youth, it was like, Everybody was just listening to the same Taylor Dane songs on the radio and then showing up at school the next day and being like, you're a Taylor Dane song, <laughs> which is not necessarily an improvement. No, no, definitely not. I mean, like, you know, it's one of those things where people our age will overly fetishize the fact that like you would you would listen to every song on the album because it was the only way to listen to the album or you would watch shitty movies because you didn't have movies on demand and you had to watch whatever was there. And, you know, I want to treat that as, like, some sort of grand monocultural enlightenment. But it wasn't. I had to watch shit and listen to shit. It was horrible. My kids get to watch and listen to cool stuff all the time, anytime they want. And that's way better. I do feel like there's a sense in which, like, being able to stream everything, it's like, maybe you miss some stuff because you're really only listening to what you want to listen to all the time. So you're not, like, ever having to deal with, like, you know, just some shit that like you maybe just are finding by accident but at the same time yeah like i can't necessarily say that anybody's like whatever like waiting all day to watch a richard marx video it's like that wasn't better by any you know stretch of any imagination 
Yeah, I'm bad. Like, I keep going back to the same playlist on Spotify over and over again when I could be, like, I could be hunting for new music and, like, I could give that new, that music more of a chance. Like, if you buy an album, and again, uh, I've already reverted into, I just decried boomers and became one in the span oh, yeah. of eight seconds. But, but you would buy the album, you spend, you spend 10 to 15 bucks, you would have to, you would listen to the album because you're not going to waste your money. Yeah. And maybe there's stuff on there that's good. Whereas if I have Spotify and, and, you know, I'm listening to a song and someone's like, oh, it's a grower. Like, I don't have time for that. I got, I got <laughs> like dinner to, to make. Like, you get two minutes and then, like, if the courses have a hook, I'm fucking out. So, like, there's not, I don't have the patience anymore for music that I might like if I gave it more of a chance. So, I need yeah. to do that. We've got some very dinosaur music consuming methodology up here. So, I can't exactly speak on it. Like, I own a CD player and I use it. Wow. Wow. Yep. Yep. What are you going to do? Can I, can I tell you if you buy a pill, it, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty good investment. They're not expensive. They're insanely fucking loud. You can, you can cook dinner and have a cocktail and play all the Carly Rae you want. It's a very, very nice. It feels very elegant. I like it. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that. It's definitely better than like having to go back to the goodwill and like, seeing if the CD players that they have for sale have like too much hair in them to play, which is basically the stage we're at now. If I, uh, I would recommend them to you like over, over the air on the podcast, but I'm not going to do that unless ultimate ears pays out the ass for me to mention. Them. Yeah. But I mean, what an investment imagine <laughs> endorsed by drew himself. I know. Yeah. Endorsed by a guy who listens to the same 15 songs. All, all week, these rat week. records sound amazing on it. I listen to a lot of rat. <laughs> you would not, you would not believe the number of times I listened to Body Talks by Rat uh, in the span of a week. It's really a that and like Jet City Woman. <laughs> and like there's one Charlie Puth song I really like that I I sang for, for the Defector Trivia Night last week and no one recognized it. So I was like, really? It's a Charlie Puth deep cut that I'm into? I had no idea. No one tells you what your early middle age is going to be like. But scooping a bunch of 20-somethings on Charlie Puth and having them judge you for it, no one could anticipate yeah, yeah. Who would have guessed that something Dad thought was cool turned out to be not cool? <laughs> oh my God, what a turnabout! Yeah, pretty shocking. Hey, by the way, my mood is lifted now. I feel like I feel like we've worked this out. It got like like it started off a little dark and a little. I was a little exasperated, but now I feel energized because I talked about shitty Tom Hardy movies. <laughs> yeah, and the power <laughs> of Puth. We also we haven't talked about Take Gooch yet. So I oh yeah, great. It was the North Alabama, I think it was a student body, body yeah, president student or government, something. whatever. And I honestly, I don't like he just, he gave some Twitter message about, I don't even know, probably like we're, we're, we're brave here in Alabama. We don't need masks as masks are for pussies, but it doesn't matter because all the replies to the tweet, there are like 500 replies to the tweet. And it was all just people saying, take Gooch. Yeah. It's it. a great just, name. Oh. And that's always, that's a good, solid use of Twitter. Whenever you see it, there was one, a couple of, uh, maybe it was like a year ago. I remember it because I was I was a part of it at that time. And I you know, I didn't feel great about it. I feel better about it in retrospect. Uh a Georgia high school player committed to play at uh, the University of Georgia and the tweet was just homegrown speedster Lad McConkey commits to dogs. <laughs> Lad McConkey. <laughs> and oh, I love yeah, it. And so I I wish Lad McConkey well, obviously. I mean, I think all all of us here at the program wish Lad McConkey well. But whenever you encounter a name like that, it's like uh, I don't know, it's like finding a quarter on the street or uh, yeah, something nice happening to you. Whatever the opposite of a bird shitting on you is. 
It's a better iteration of the uh, 69 nice joke that's all over Twitter. Like, I don't, I got no problem with everyone responding nice when it's like 69 people dead in avalanche. Yeah. Which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's still amusing. Yeah. But the, the repeating of a name back, especially when it's Take Gooch. By the way, I need to apologize to Take Gooch because uh, Take Gooch's message uh, was it you please wear a mask? Good job, Tate you Gooch. The best out of this. Yeah. So, but it's still Tate Gooch, and he looks like a Tate Gooch, and that's even more endearing. It's such a, I think it's, it's a wonderful type of name. It's, I think that's what's one of the great gifts <laughs> that the Southeastern United States has given us is like people that are named like decently successful law firms, but not like super huge law firms. I also, I feel like those people, you know, by the time they reach like, professional age and stuff they're already well equipped to handle all the name stuff like there's a donald trump in northern virginia who goes by skip because why the hell wouldn't you yeah (laughs) and you just wear it i think it helps you grow i say this as someone who's named david roth and grew up during van halen's moment of peak popularity that's a hundred percent did was it ever like were you ever like annoyed by it or was it ever just yes let me stop you there yes I, I mean, a little, but I mean, it was, it was definitely the sort of thing where, like, I, I remember like being asked, like, "Oh, so is, is your dad?" And I'd be like, "I look at me, man. Like, I have braces. Like, do I look like my dad is like the shirtless, like jumping up and touching his toes guy?" Like, that guy, I would have said yes. Probably, yeah, but all right, whatever. Yeah, I did have a um a tennis counselor at a summer camp convinced that he was my dad and was coming for visiting day, and then he didn't. And I had to be like, yeah, man, this is really hard for me, too. And he was like, I don't think he's really your dad, fucking asshole. <laughs> the first time I met Dave McKenna, I was on a train, and he and he looked like my old ad boss. And I said, wow, you look like my old boss. And he was like, oh, that's cool. And I must have said it like 90 times, because the last time I said to him during the train, I was like, well, I can't get over how much you look like my old boss. And, uh, and, and he went straight, and he was like, Drew, I'm not your boss. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay. Now it's no longer funny. I, I never, I never bothered him about it again. Let's take a break and come back with the guy of the week. What? Nice. Sounds good. We're back. You ready to remember a guy, Roth? Anything, any guy. Let's do it. Let's go remember one guy, and the guy I picked this week is da, 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 Tom Brunansky. Bruno. Bruno's return. Yes. Love that record. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom Brunansky, former Minnesota twin, who I believe used to like lead the team in home runs back when you would like lead the team in home runs. When you hit like 28 yep. in a season. Yeah. That's very much what I remember that, too, about him being like, I think that he maybe was gone by the time they were winning World Series. Yes, he was. But he was he definitely was. like that was his role. And like all those dudes, like the sort of like corner outfield slugger guys looked exactly the same at that time, too. That there was like, like you know, those like um like barbershop things where you could like pick the haircut that you want when you were a kid. You see him on the wall. Yeah, yeah. So I think like for that, it's like if you wanted to hit between 20 and 30 homers in the majors, it was just like 20 different pictures of Gorman Thomas. And you could choose, you could get a perm or you could not have a perm. But otherwise, that was just how you looked. It's like a big, yeah. chunky bartender mustache. They all look like Bassmasters. And it's, it's very, it was very enervating when you're slugger, like where it's like the big slugger in your team, like they're trying to get you hyped up for like these, the cleanup hitter. 
He hit 26 home runs last year with 90 RBI, and you're like, God, that, those numbers blow. Yeah, it was definitely not. It was not the funnest time for baseball. I think that no. I think it was probably a fun time to be a baseball player because like every American city was basically the same. So your job would be like you fly in, you have like a steak with like a piece of curly parsley on it, you drink like nine ounces of Cuddy Sark, and then like you get up and go to the ballpark the next day, and then you just do that for like. 14 years and then you retire and you run like a pool cleaning business yeah and you swap a wife yeah oh yeah every now and then you know whatever it's gonna keep it spiced up and everything like that i remember so do you <laughs> did you remember seeing Brunanski play i saw him when he was with the cardinals and i remember like at, being at a mets game and being like oh this guy's scary and then like after the first at bat i was like no i don't know about that actually i might have been might have been off base uh i believe i might have but i may not have a good memory of it and really i i think the reason why is because i went to the 87 World Series as a child. And that's my, you know, that's my formative twins memory, obviously. You were at the series. So it, I don't think I knew that. Uh, yeah. That's cool. It was like game, I, I can't remember which game. It was not, it was not the deciding game. Mm. It was one of their home games. It was early in the series. And our America's the Homer Hankies. Everyone's waving their Homer yeah. Hankies around. That, that seemed like a wild place to see a game, too. Because it was super loud. And the, like, the fences weren't fences. They were just tarps. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that, that the Metrodome... And I think I, even if you haven't been, you probably heard about is is a balloon. So when you would walk out of the stadium after the game, like the the roof is is coming down because the roof is you know the roof is a tarp, and so you get shoved out of the stadium. There's like a draft, and it like literally pushes you out of the stadium, and you're like like as if like a gale force wind came and just like shoved you out. Like the Metrodome cannot wait for you to get the fuck out of the Metrodome. That's delightful. Anyway. Uh, I think we got to talk about, well, you, I'm going to give you two options for new features this week. One is, you, and you're going to have to do both, but it, it depends on the order. It's up to you. One is right. mashups. Where I sing the mashup, you have to guess uh, the two bands in the mashup. Or <laughs> we can read uh, the first Why Your Team Sucks letter of the season for a Bengals fan. So... I have have heard you sing mashups, whereas other people might not have, because at our weekly uh, sort of defector team trivia things, some people play them. Drew likes to perform them because he's just one of the more normal guys uh, that you'll meet. So I know that this is going to be hard, and I'd like to do that first, and then we can move on to something uh, less disturbing, like Cincinnati Bengals football. All right, all right. Here's the mashup. You have to guess the two bands. I'll sing it once. You can request a second one, but I don't think you're gonna. I eh, probably won't. <laughs> it's okay. Go ahead. All right. So, ah I feel so alive. Yeah. Oh, Lord, I'm still alive. All right. So, I believe, based on, I'm going by tones, is that we've got uh, Creed on the front end and Pearl Jam on the back. Uh, that is incorrect. That feels uh, bad. The answer. The answer is P.O.D. Son of a bitch. It definitely is P.O.D., isn't it? The damn boys from the South. San Diego's own. The legends themselves. All right. Uh, you ready for why your team sucks? Uh, this is a letter from Alex. You want to hear uh, from Alex why the Bengals suck? I mean, sure, if he if he thinks he can convince me, but it's not going to be easy. It's Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. The <laughs> Bengals ones are always extremely depressing. And given that we started the podcast on a depressing note, I apologize in advance for bringing us right back to depression. So I'm going to read this from Alex. Uh, Alex writes in, I'm a Bengals fan from Arkansas. A feat so odd 
But when I was in high school, I was outnumbered not just by Cowboys, Steelers, Pats, and Saints fans, but by Chargers, Skins, and even Browns Chargers fans. Chargers fans. This is the year... <laughs> And this was the year the Browns went 1-15, followed by 0-16. Also, as of this writing, I've never even met another Bengals fan, period. I'd hope things would get better when I started going to college in Illinois last year, but I had an epiphany the first game of the past season when they came back to beat the Colts. This was in 2018. I was waiting to see my professor and had been wildly refreshing my feet as time ran out. When they won, I jumped up and down and cried out excitedly, but then I looked up. There was nobody around, or even on the same floor of my building, <laughs> a professor had yet to show up. There was nobody else to share the moment with me, nobody to rejoice with, nobody to high-five, or even ask me why I'd been so happy. Just the walls and the books and a clock ticking away slowly. That's my fandom in a nutshell. Me watching the team in a corner of a building with nobody to share in the moments of glory and heartbreak as the impassive world passes me by. I'll always be a Bengals fan, but sometimes, as I sit there quietly, I wonder why. Aww. That's really good writing. It's really, I mean, it's mostly it, it just because it's it's it? very sad writing. It is, but it's it's such good writing. I I almost feel energized by his despair. Yeah, there's something. See, this was something that I was really into as a kid, as a fan of the New Jersey Nets, who were just awful at that point. Like this is years before Jason Kidd arrived, before there was any hope of any kind, uh, right. before Kenny Anderson arrived. I mean, it was just like a bunch of guys that looked. Um, unhappy losing to the Pacers by 19 uh, like twice a week and at the time I was like this is important like it's it's meaningful to me not just you know because they were from New Jersey in my case I have no idea how you wind up a Bengals fan in Arkansas and that's honestly between our writer and his god but there is something about it that just it felt like significant I was like this means something that I that I am this unhappy by choice uh, and <laughs> I think it's, you know, in the fullness of time, I think that was probably a dumb choice on my part, but I do think there's some integrity to it. Yeah, I, I respect Alex, even if I, even if I pity him, I, I respect the, his, his self-awareness and how, just how awful it yeah. is to be. They've funny. really been I'm on a, a sad trend for a long time, too, because they haven't ever, I mean, I guess last year they really were bad, but for the they longest time, bad. they were like, yeah, they, they win like one or two games last year. Well, yeah, they were they were really shitty for most of my childhood, except for the Super Bowl year when they yeah. blew a Super Bowl in really awful fashion. And then Marvin yeah. Lewis came, and they were competent, but always lost in the playoffs. And now they have Joe Burrow, my son, and I think Burrow will be I think Burrow will be an absolutely brilliant quarterback. I but Me not too. this year because the rest and he's of the from team Ohio so and he's a cool guy. But yes, yeah, it's just not there. <laughs> And it's also tough. At least Burrow's cool to like, you know, cheer for and stuff. The rest of it, where you're like, well, I hope Joe Mixon figures it out. Like, do you really? Right. <laughs> like, why? We're running out of time. Let's get to the fun bag. This is the Trump question right. of the week from Jonathan. Let's imagine a bizarre scenario where the White House accidentally agrees to an interview with Defector. Who would get the call to actually do the in-person interview? Hmm. It would not be me. Yeah. I will, I'll tell you that right now. I think that you would maybe be the guy to do it. No, I wouldn't. There are better journalists on the staff. Like, Diana's a way better journalist than me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that <laughs> she's a better journalist than me for sure. I think the first choice I had would be McKenna because he's already shown the capacity. Like, that dude talked to James Dolan and, like, still kind of defends him as a human being. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's really, it is awful. Where he's just kind of like, you know, he's. I think he's very lonely, like 30 like that's you know I don't need to necessarily hear uh, an explanation why James Dolan is misunderstood, but I do think that like if 
like physically to be in a room with James Dolan for an extended period of time. That's McKenna passing his interview to talk to to Donald Trump to me. Yeah, Dave might also be the one who wouldn't like want to instantly punch him in the face. Like, yeah, like if you're interview to me, if you're interviewing the president, you don't punch him in the face. You've wasted everyone's time. Yeah, but I think it's like he would he would take t- some time to get there, which I think would make it more gratifying when he finally did. Like if he started out and he's like, "What's your favorite band?" and Trump's like, "Many bands think that I'm actually the best president." If you look at Gene Simmons of Kiss, a beautiful friend, I of course had sex with his wife. Like any, like at some point, like even McKenna would be like, "All right, this is I'm going to throw you out a window now." <laughs> oh, let's wrap it up. Uh, uh, by the way, for Wire Team Sucks, you can be part of the Wire Team Sucks previews by emailing me at. W-Y-T-S at Defector.com. Please, for the love of God, include the team name in the subject heading so I can organize this shit. And don't, and it has to be your own team. You can't, you can't tell me why <laughs> the Steelers suck if you're a Ravens fan or something. I don't care. I hate you. I'm going to put it yeah. in the why the Ravens suck one just to, just to yell at you. Uh, also, Brandon Nix is our producer and engineer this week. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. And Stitcher's chief content officer is the legendary Chris Bannon. And that is it. We will see you next week, Roth. Enjoy Maine. And we'll see you again from Maine. Won't that be exciting? A different wireless connection, same state. But yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Truly, you cannot get there from here. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.